This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Kids, if you're going to class, you are dismissed. Let's pray before we go to the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for yet another opportunity to go to the Word, to go to your Word together, to hear about you, to learn about you. Father, as we just sang, I pray that you would teach us to be dependent on your grace. Show us your love and your mercy, your goodness and your strength, your power your sovereignty. Father, in those things, let us rest. Let us hope. Let us find joy. And all of it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to continue our study in the Psalms of Ascent in Psalm 121. Scott, would you turn me down just a little bit, please? Appreciate it. Um... Remember, these psalms were written for the trip that every Jew would take three times a year for the annual feasts. The, uh, the three main feasts, there were other feasts, but there were three feasts that they had to go to Jerusalem for. And, and these psalms were written for that journey while they were traveling on the, uh, on the road to those feasts. So last week, you'll remember we saw the psalmist leaving his hometown He's eager to get to Jerusalem and be in the presence of the Lord because, because the place where he lives is a people that, that hate peace, people that lie about him. But before we get there, quick show of hands. Who didn't really want to live in the mountains, but after you lived here for a while, you grew to love it? Okay, if my mom was here, she'd raise her hand. Who lives in the mountains because you wanted to get out of the city? Okay. Who just always loved the mountains and always wanted to live in the mountains because you loved them? Okay. Who hates the mountains and wishes you could leave? We got, we got some honesty. That's good. We also have several of you who aren't sure where you are or why you're here. But I love the mountains. I don't like the desert. I don't like the jungle. As you well know, don't get me started on the ocean. I love it so dark at night that you can't see. I, I like it cold in the morning and warm in the afternoon. I like fishing and skiing and other things that people do in the mountains. However, our view of the mountains is why many of us have probably misinterpreted this psalm. Look at verse 1. The writer says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard that before. In fact, you've probably got it in your, your brain in the King James Version. 
I lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. Something like that. We picture this psalmist longingly looking up into these beautiful, majestic mountains, being reminded of where his, his help comes from. In fact, I actually Googled images for this verse, and I got thousands of pictures of, of these people looking up into these beautiful, you know, sunlit mountains. It's kind of like I look up to the mountains and I remember where my God is, where my strength comes from. Well, I hate to ruin this psalm for you, but there's a problem with that. You see, we don't view hills or mountains like they did back then. To us, mountains are a place of beauty and relaxation and serenity. But you see, to these people, the hills were where people got robbed and people starved and died. The hills were where there wasn't any water. The hills were where the thieves lived. The hills were where paths collapsed and rock slides happened. In other words, did you notice that little question mark at the end of verse, the first sentence of verse 1? We missed that part. Because the psalmist is lifting his eyes to the dangerous, frightening hills that lie before him, and he's asking, where is my help going to come from? So when we, we read this psalm, the first thing we need to do is we need to picture what came to mind for the first readers. Meaning, rather than thinking of, of looking up into these beautiful, majestic mountains that we're about to go have a fun time in, the picture this psalmist wants to paint for us is more like Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee looking into the mountains they're about to go in, the mountains of Mordor. Dark, black, dangerous mountains. But this helps make sense of, of the psalmist's answer to his own question. If you look at verse 2, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So this psalmist is looking at these dangerous hills that he's about to traverse, and for a moment, he's anxious. Who will help me on this dangerous journey? But no sooner does his anxiety rise that, that he's reminded, wait a minute, my help comes from the Lord. He's the one who made these hills. So what we see in Psalm 121 is as the people were making their journey to Jerusalem, the psalmist is reminding them that their God is bigger than the unforeseen dangers hidden in the hills before them. He's reminding them that they need to keep their eyes fixed on the Lord, the creator of those hills, because that's who will keep them on their journey. Brothers and sisters, the same could not be more true for us this morning. Throughout Scripture, our life is likened to a journey through the wilderness. And just like this psalmist's journey through these hills, our lives are fraught with danger. In fact, I would say I know many of you this morning might feel like you have been mugged by this life. Like, like this life is an imposing criminal 
that you ran into in a dark alley who, rather than demanding your valuables, is demanding all of your hope and peace and joy. If that's you, then this morning I want you to hear the same thing this psalmist is telling his first readers. As you travel through the mountains of this life, as you travel through the hills and the valleys and the deserts and, God forbid, the oceans, you too must keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. You too must keep your eyes fixed on the Lord because He is still where our hope comes from. He is still where we get our help. But the question that brings up then is what exactly is that help? What does that help look like? Well, that's what the rest of the psalm is about. If you look at verse 3 and 4, first the psalmist tells us that we must keep our eyes fixed on the Lord because He sleeplessly keeps our path through life. He sleeplessly keeps our path through life. He says in verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now again, in order to understand these verses, we need to let go of some of our assumptions. Meaning, we have to remember that when these people traveled, they didn't have RVs and 500 lumen LED flashlights they didn't have phones with maps on them. They might have had a tent. Might. But probably, more than likely, on these journeys, they would have just slept outside. And if you were coming, say, from Galilee to Jerusalem, that would have been a four-day journey if you walked 10 miles per day. That would be the equivalent of walking from this church to the Smiths at Tramway and Central four days in a row with your whole family. They spent some time in the wilderness trying to get to Jerusalem. So in those conditions, when you're making a journey like that, when would you be most vulnerable? When would you be in the most danger? No, it wouldn't be when you made a rude comment to your wife. That would be dangerous. But the most danger you would be in is when you were asleep, when it was dark. which is why the psalmist says that he who keeps you does not slumber or sleep. He says, during the day, the Lord keeps your foot from slipping on the trail. And when you're asleep in dangerous places, the Lord is not. He is standing guard and watching over his people like a good night watchman. When evil is prowling around looking for someone to devour, God isn't asleep. So, what, so when things get difficult, you can I hate to break it to you, but some of you are control freaks. You are. It's just the truth. If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. What I mean by that is you try to micromanage your life. You try to leave as little as possible, as few details as possible, up to God. You think you can plan away problems. You think you can anticipate adversity. And, and if there's anything you, you, you don't get, you, you, you're sure you can manage anything you miss. God is my keeper. Yes. But I have a checklist and a spreadsheet 
and a five-year plan. So when things go sideways, you freak out. You can't sleep. This isn't the way it was supposed to go. This isn't according to the plan. Something's gone terribly wrong. Tap the brakes, man. Take a break. Quit thinking that you can worry anything into or out of existence. And fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord because He sleeplessly keeps your path through this life. Now, I know at least some of you are thinking, I want to believe this, Pastor Grant, but sometimes it sure feels like God has fallen asleep. I mean, how can these things be happening to me if our God is watching out for me? How can I believe God when He says He will not let my foot slip, when sometimes it feels like I'm rolling down the hill? And listen, those are good questions. Those are questions that God is not afraid of of you asking. Because they're true. Because here's the thing. When God says He will not let your foot slip, He means from His path not yours. When God says He never sleeps, He means He never sleeps keeping you on His path, which means two very important things. First, that means that God's path for each of us is different. We can't look at someone else having a good some life or week or whatever, we're having a terrible week, and call it unfair. God's path for each and every one of us is different. Some paths do converge here and there. Some paths go this way and that way. But God's itinerary for each of us is different. Which means, secondly, the path that God has in mind for us is not only different, but sometimes it's difficult. And I won't get into all the reasons for that, but suffice it to say that when your life gets difficult, it's not because God has fallen asleep. No, it's because He hasn't. It's because He wants to grow you and shape you and mold you into someone who better displays Christ to this world. The sometimes difficult truth is this. God's path for some people is to endure very difficult trials in order to display His glory when they still don't turn from Him. And that's His choice. Who walks that path and who doesn't. But That brings us to verse 5 and 6 because when the path the Lord is keeping you on gets difficult, when it gets hard, when it gets sad. The psalmist still tells us to fix our eyes on the Lord because His shade keeps us able to endure. Because His shade keeps us able to endure. Look at verse 5. He says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I don't know about you, But when I first read this, immediately I wondered, what in the world is this with the moon? Like, why are we afraid of getting struck by the moon? I don't know if you guys have ever wondered that. I mean, sunstroke we get. That that part we understand. 
But what about the moon? Well, interestingly, this is what I found out. For most of history, people believed in something called moonstroke. It's a true thing. The literal term is selenoplexia. And, in fact, even as late as 1895, the Dictionary of Medical Science detailed all the crazy effects they thought prolonged exposure to the moonlight can cause. And get this, hence the term moonshine because of the similar effects they thought it had on you when you drink it. I say all that to say we're going to focus on shading us from the sun because that's what makes sense to us. I just didn't want you to wonder what the moon meant. But there are basically two kinds of protection that are ever mentioned in the Bible. The first is when you're being attacked by enemies, people, those kind of forces. And when you're being attacked by enemies, the Bible usually refers to God's protection as a shield. But whenever someone is being attacked by nature, the Bible refers to God's protection as shade. However, whether the Bible is talking about a shield or shade, the point is that the Bible always describes that protection being for a specific circumstance. The shield is always referred to when someone is going out to battle, not coming in. And the same is true for the shade. Shade is always used in the Bible for when someone is going out from shelter. In other words, this psalm is not talking about protection to keep us from the dangers of life so that we don't experience them, but protection for when we go out, for when we encounter, for when we engage the dangers of this world. That's what this shade is for. It's not to hide in. It's to go out in. And I know if you're like me, and by me, I mean a dangerous deficiency in melanin. If you're like me, and, and you, you, you can't spend more than a few minutes outside before smelling like bacon, <laughs> you know the only reason you can go outside is because of sunscreen. And when it comes to this life, we are all spiritually melanin deficient. No matter what your skin color is, spiritually, you're albino. You're going to get sunburnt, like, like spiritual sunburn. It doesn't take long for this world to make us want to stay indoors and lay motionless in bed. So this psalmist reminds us that God is our shade. He is our spiritual sunscreen, if you will, that allows us to be in the hot sun of this life for longer periods of time. Meaning, just like the shield in the Bible, the shade our Lord provides is not for us to have a comfortable place to drink our lemonade or mojitos. No, His shade is for us to be able to endure for longer, to be able to plant and to travel, and even to fight for longer periods of time. That's what His shade is for. And I know some of you need to hear verses 5 and 6 because you have been sunburnt by the difficulties of this life. Your lips are chapped and raw by ridicule or attack or something like that. So you don't even want to speak for fear that proclaiming the gospel would be painful. Your skin is that bright pink color. 
So you've become hypersensitive to any difficult interaction. You recoil in pain or even anger at the slightest contact with hardship. Brother or sister, if that's you, that's because you are not working in the shade of the Lord. You're trying to do things in your own strength, and you can't endure the scorching heat of this world. And what does that actually look like? All these metaphors of sunscreen and shade and all of that, what does it actually look like to work in God's shade? It looks like faith. It looks like the security and the courage and the contentment that you believe that God is both sovereign and good. The shade of God looks like someone who believes that the circumstances you are in are not an accident. They're not the universe falling apart but that God is giving you what you need in order to do what He has you doing. That's what the shade of the Lord looks like. It doesn't look like panic, like me out in the sun trying to get out into the shade somewhere. It doesn't look like that. It looks like confidence that God has you where He wants you to be, and He has you there for a reason, and so you're going to keep going. Saints, as God directs you down potentially dangerous paths, you must fix your eyes on Him and work in that shade that He provides, which keeps you able to endure. However, there is something out there we cannot endure. There is something out there we have proven over and over again that we cannot withstand or hold back or resist. Something that we will succumb to every time if left to ourselves. And that is evil. Which is why, lastly, the psalmist tells us in verse 7 and 8 that we must fix our eyes on the Lord because He keeps us from the worst danger there is. That's evil. He keeps us from evil. Look at verse 7. He said, The Lord will keep you from all evil, not some of it, not most of it, all of it. And He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There's this story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, where Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees who are saying that he's casting out demons by the, the power of Satan. And, and Jesus, after basically saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, he goes on to say, the only way someone can, can rob or plunder someone else's house is if they defeat or, or tie up the strong man that's guarding that house. And what Jesus meant by that is he can't be kicking demons out of Satan's house if Satan is still in charge of the house. In other words, listen, what Jesus was saying is that he is plundering souls from the house of Satan because he has defeated him and bound him. But after that, Jesus went on to say that after that strong man is kicked out of the house, the new occupant goes in and secures it. So the strong man can't come back. Meaning, Jesus was saying, I didn't just kick Satan out, but I am keeping him out. So notice the inclusive language in verses 7 and 8. The Lord keeps you from evil. 
in your going out and your coming in. Doesn't matter what you're doing. And then he says, now and forevermore. Doesn't matter when you do it. Where you go, when you do it, doesn't matter. The Lord is keeping you. Which is why Jesus said things. Like all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He said, because I have come to do not my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And the will of the one who sent me is that I don't lose any that he gives me, but I raise them on the last day. And later Paul would say, for those whom he, that's God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And he said, so that, that Jesus might be the firstborn of a huge family. And he continued, he said, Therefore, those whom he has predestined, he's also called. Those whom he called, he's also um, justified. And those who he justified, he's also glorified. In other words, brothers and sisters, there are no dropouts in the plan of God. There is no such thing as a real Christian who becomes a not Christian. Because God's in charge. Because God is guarding the door. The psalmist is telling us this morning that not only did Jesus save you from evil, but he's also like the biggest, baddest bouncer that ever existed. Once he moves in, ain't nothing getting past him to ruin what he has accomplished. That includes you. Brothers and sisters, I know some of you need to hear this. I know some of you need to hear verses 7 and 8 because, listen, this is how some of you read this verse. This is how some of you read this verse. You, you read this, the Lord has saved me from all evil. He has saved your, my life. So I need to keep my going out and coming in from this day forth and from forevermore. If that's you, friend, fix your eyes on the Lord because He is the one who keeps you from evil. I say it all the time. Show me the verse that says you have to prove to God that He made a good purchase. That you were worth being saved. And again, I want to say this psalm is not telling us that we will never have any problems. It's not saying that. Most of you have lived long enough to know that anybody who says that is looking for money or something. What this psalm is giving us here is what one preacher called a buoyancy for the heart. Meaning when you feel like you're sinking below the surface of all the garbage that this world can throw at us, this psalm tells us to fix our eyes on the Lord. Because that's where our hope is. Where our lives are kept and guarded on whatever path our sovereign creator ordains. But more importantly, it's a buoyancy of the heart that no matter what man or nature does to us, they cannot separate us from God, ever. When I, when I think of that, when I think about this idea of, of this psalm being a buoyancy to our heart, I can't help but think of the story of Peter walking on the water in Matthew 14. If you remember... Um, the story begins with the disciples heading out in the boat while Jesus went to pray. And while they're out in the boat, the storm kicks, kicks up. And, and as this storm is going, they look and they see Jesus walking across the water. And Peter, because he's Peter, <laughs> he's like, Lord, it's, it, if it's you, command me to come to you. 
And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water. Do you remember what happened? He took his eyes off the Lord. The next verse says, but when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. Peter lost his buoyancy when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the danger all around him. And just like Peter, in the midst of the danger and the difficulty of this life that would seek to, to take our gaze off of him, this psalm is telling us, keep our eyes on the Lord. The harder it gets, the more we focus. The Lord your God, the maker of heaven and earth, when you place your faith in Him, when you believe that, that He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, to pay for that debt required for your sins, when you believe that, that God will never slumber or sleep as He keeps and guides you down the path that He has for you. He will not slumber or sleep. What I want you guys to hear is the buoyancy of hope that is flowing out of this psalm. And the reason it's flowing out of this psalm is because this is God promising. We can read this psalm as a promise. Do you believe God's promises? When you believe that God promised these things, He never slumbers or sleeps as He guides you down that path. And as treacherous or dangerous or difficult as that path may be, you can know, you can trust that He's not only keeping you on that path, but He's keeping you on that path for a reason. Whatever difficulty you're facing, it's not an accident. God has you walking down that path for a reason. He's keeping you on that path that He has ordained for you in order to mold and transform you into the person He wants you to be. He's not just dragging you down that path, telling you to suck it up. No. He knows the path that He's ordained for you will sometimes be difficult. It'll be hot. He knows that this world is dangerous and malicious and wants nothing more than to keep us from growing into a better image of Christ. So not only does He keep you on that good path that He has ordained for you, but He also provides you shade to keep, your, to, to keep you during the difficult parts of that path. He provides you the shade of hope and peace and comfort and joy in the midst of the, the scorching trials of this life. But most importantly, most importantly, whether you're standing at the base of a, of a black mountain or... or, or, or um, you're, you're, you're going through the valleys, the canyons and the ravines of this life that are full of wicked people looking to do your harm. No matter where you are in this life, as difficult as it can be, we must keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. We must. We must fix our eyes on the one who lived the perfect life for us. We must fix our eyes on the one who died for us. We must fix our eyes on the one who then walked out of the grave for us. Because the one who gave his son, how will he not give us all things? 
Because that God, our Savior, will not let evil come back to us, will not let the evil one have us again. He refuses. In fact, he literally said, over my dead body can you have this person back. And I already proved you can't kill me. Lift your eyes and see. You need not be afraid. All your help comes from the Lord, who the earth and sky has made. He will keep you from all evils behind you and before. He will sustain you through this journey from now and evermore. Stand with me, please, and let's make that our song.